0: Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways in how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. With only 53% of Gen Z identifying themselves as sports fans, guest host Brian Gaynor dives deep with our four leading executives to find out how their brands are engaging the next generation of consumers. These guests will discuss their approach, to the evolving nature of consumer goods and sports marketing. Hopefully today you learned something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently.
1: All right, thanks so much, Avish. And uh, pleasure to meet you all. Thanks so much for doing this session over the next hour. I've been amazed just researching all of your backgrounds, the diversity um, that you all bring to the table is amazing. So huge thank you for taking the time to, to do this this afternoon.
2: Thank you.
3: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me.
1: So I'm excited to kick things off. Um, You know, this is going to be a really exciting panel talking about the next generation of fans and how we as leaders across um, uh, leading leagues, the NBA, the NHL, brands, um, leading agencies. Um, I'm really excited to just kind of get y'all's viewpoint on how we all capture this next generation of fans. And the way I like to frame it up is thinking less just in the the bubble of Gen Z and Gen Alpha, but more on um, international fans, multicultural, women and girls, you know, the true next generation of fans that so many, especially leagues and organizations need to to really change the mindset. So with that being said, I want to do a little kind of, you know, fun around the horn asking you all um, maybe if there's one fan segment that you could talk about that you're passionate about targeting or, or developing programs around, What's one thing you've learned from the past year in COVID? And what's one organization or brand that you think is doing a a really great job? And so maybe Jess, I'll start it off with you since you're at the top of my screen and and would love to kind of hear your perspectives on those three.
3: Yeah, thanks, Brian. So hey, everybody, I'm Jess Park, and I'm the VP of Global Fan Marketing uh, at the NBA. Um, So fan audience, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say youth and and in particular Gen Z. I know that's probably going to be, um, you know, a popular one, but I think that for the NBA, we're really blessed to have um, a young and diverse audience. Um, We have the youngest live sports TV audience and the highest proportion of multicultural fans compared to other professional sports leagues in the U.S. Um, And I think globally, um, you know, we're really lucky to have a, a brand in the league that um, is truly global in scale, so we're we're airing in about um, 215 different countries worldwide. Um, and when I think about really like the youth audience and um, you know the opportunity there, I think there's this joint opportunity of sort of building um, participation and building sort of brand love for the game. Um, and so that's sort of the audience that we're you know I'm particularly pretty excited about. Um, so. I think the next question was a, a learning from this last year. Um, so I just, I just celebrated my, my one year at the NBA and it's been a really wild year, as you can imagine, um, for me to be uh, starting here. And I think when I think back to my last year here at the NBA, what really um, stands out to me is, um, you know, working at a values-based organization Um, and, you know, I think when, when I got here, I could really see how the organization prioritized the values of, you know, integrity and teamwork and, um, innovation and diversity. And, you know, through everything, the pandemic, um, you know, the social justice movement that we've seen in the last year, um, I think that being rooted in, in values, um, not only sets a tone for the culture of the organization and and the staff, but also really um, it came to light, like how it informed our our business, uh, you know, our decision-making frameworks for the business as well. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, the learning for me has really been about um, how we stay true to our values and how that really um, comes to light, not, not only in your day to day, but also in sort of how our fans and our audiences um, see us uh, and see themselves in us. Um, Okay, and then the last one uh, I think is a a brand that I think is doing it well. Well, um, prior to the NBA, I was um, leading the global business marketing team at Spotify. And I will always admire the work uh, that the Spotify team deliver. I think that, um, I think the user experience is incredible. They always push the envelope there. I think it's incredible that the platform is truly like ubiquitous. It's across so many different um, touch points for, um, you know, our fans and users. Um, and I think it's another great example of an organization that's values-based um, and has really sort of shaped, I think these two organizations in the last couple of years of my career have really shaped the way that I um, prioritize that, that kind of um, grounding. Um, so yeah, I would say Spotify.
1: Wonderful. And Spotify, you know, great transition on the music front. I mean, Shiv, you've got an incredible background at Pepsi and worked on with music there, Visa. How would you maybe approach your top three um, uh, as Jess hit on?
4: So, no, great questions. So, so I'd start by saying in terms of, so the question was around fans and sports and which, which team or which organization is, is, is doing it fabulously. I've got to admit for for you know new audiences or Gen Z consumers, I've got to admit, I've got to go to my son with this one. So my <laughs> oldest son was 12 years old, and Jess, you're gonna like this. He's a diehard Golden State Warriors fan. And and it sort of it sort of feels like I woke up one day and he was this diehard Golden State Warriors fan. I mean, he watched occasional games, and then before I knew it, he was sort of all in. And i am tried to unpack and understand sort of how he suddenly got on that tragedy so quickly. And what I found with the Warriors, and as i talked to him, it was so much about the, the stories about the players behind every game and the sense of camaraderie that would be brought forward in the storytelling by the Warriors. So whether it was, whether it was the, you know, Clay and Steph Curry and Raymond Green or it was the, the younger players, there's something, I mean, there's of course, a lot of magic with, with the team and there continues to be, in my opinion. But it was the way the warriors was telling those stories, and uh, and not just through broadcasts, but the, all the digital channels that that really struck me, um, and and I know changed him. So so that's sort of the first example. In terms of what has what I've learned from in the last year with COVID, here I've, I've got to go to, to you know to to my day job at the Expedia Group and as being responsible for the Expedia brand. So. One of the sponsorships that we have and that, uh, you know, is managed through my team is the Liverpool FC sponsorship, uh, you know, uh, part of the Premier League. And uh, barely a month ago, this entire, and I think it's fine to refer to it in these terms now, but this, uh, uh, we, we had this Super League fiasco, for those of you who are less familiar with it. Suddenly, 11 teams from the Premier League decided to form their own Super League their own set of rules. They made this big announcement. But within two days, it was shut down. And, and I think, it, you know, with very good reasons. Um, but my big takeaway from that moment was, and it was just so wonderful to see, fans rule the roost as they should and that the fans came out so, so strongly. It was such a wonderful reminder that even though, you know, we haven't been in stadiums over the last year, we still care so deeply about our teams. We can still organize as needed, but they came out in force against this new Super League. They uh, rallied their local political leaders. They got behind uh, FIFA and UEFA, who really pushed back against this. And within two days, something that had arguably been set up over many months and many years with billions of, of dollars at stake uh, crumbled. And, and I think that that is a good reminder. Fans matter and they drive sports and it's, it's, it's truly wonderful and exciting. Um, okay, so then to the last question in terms of what uh, who's doing good work? Again, and this is a, don't mind, a sort of a selfish answer now. But I'm super impressed with, I joined the Expedia group only six months ago to lead the Expedia brand. Uh, and what I found was that within Expedia, our sponsorship team was doing really interesting work with Liverpool FC. And what they were doing that really stood out for me was the partnership was established at a brand strategy level where our brand, which was which is all about being a travel companion, and the Liverpool FC brand being all about not being alone, were married together at a really strategic, in a really strategic fashion, and that got manifested in every execution, including in how we would then partner with the Guardian in the UK, for example, to tell stories about uh, the, the women's team of Liverpool FC, to elevate the women players who arguably don't get anywhere near enough attention as, as the male players. So all really fascinating stuff. And I'll talk about Pepsi in a bit, Brian. I'll cover that too.
1: Great, thank you, Chef. How about we pass it over to you, Javier. Do you wanna um, share a little bit more on kind of um, your perspective?
4: Sure,
2: absolutely. It's wonderful to uh, see everyone. Javier Gutierrez, I'm the uh, president CEO here uh, for the Arizona Coyotes. And Jess, I am literally celebrating my one year anniversary uh, today of driving, uh, and moving my family from Los Angeles uh, to the desert, uh, just as a global pandemic is raging, uh, just as the, the, the triple digits are about to, you know, we're about to hit. And uh, by the way, it's, it's 100 today, and it's gonna be 100 till probably middle of September. So, um, but Arizona has been wonderful, has been, has been great to, to me and my family. And the, the, the biggest lesson uh, I'll start with in terms of COVID is really the, the, the reaffirmation of the importance that, the, that, that sports has to really make a difference in people's lives. It's really core to our vision and our, and, and, and our strategic plan to use sports and the voice and the platform that it gives you to look around you and say, what are the needs around us? And what are the needs of our community? And how can we use this incredible platform of sports to, to make a difference for others? Um, what you saw us do uh, as an organization is we, we pivoted, not just in terms of our philanthropic efforts, but, but what we were as an organization uh, during this time. How did we use our facility? Uh, we we, we use our arena from everything from being a food and water drive location to a voting location, to a vaccination location, and to being really mindful and very thoughtful about how we as an organization could really impact uh, the the lives of others during these very challenging times. We also really truly embraced uh, the opportunity of us as as an economic uh, platform and looked at uh, our buying power of our community. We pivoted uh, to buying from local restaurants, from from diverse and uh, women-owned restaurants and service providers. And so really reimagined our sort of supply chain and the power that we have uh, to, to really make a difference. And then finally, for us as this very high profile employer, I, I'm very proud of the fact that within this year, um, I was able to hire the largest female executive team in the NHL. As I reimagined, uh, what who, what are the voices that are important when you think about, and we'll talk about target audience, but a key component is the female cohort. And how can you do that without having female voices at the table? And so for us, it was, again, looking at the opportunity that we had during this pandemic to reimagine uh, the opportunities of who's around the table and Mm -hmm. and how do you create uh, thought processes uh, that really get you there. So as far as that, that, that second point of the, the target audience, so I'm, I'm gonna cheat a little bit and I'm gonna talk about what I talk about a lot, which is I borrow the great Wayne Gretzky's line of going to where the puck is going in order to find greatness. And where is the puck going in America when you think about uh, the consumer? It's going to young, to female, to diverse, to purpose-driven, to tech-enabled, And that's where we're going. I talk a lot about super serving the coyote fan, the rabid coyote fan, but equally being focused on the coyote fan in waiting. And that coyote fan in waiting is really in these growth cohorts who may have never gone to a hockey game, seen one on television, put a stick in their hand. And yet what we really wanna do is engage them, is to give them an experience, whether it be because of what we do in the community what we do with our rebrand, which we're reimagining, what we do with our performance off and on the ice, is what we talk a lot about. And so, to me, that that is the target audience, right? The Coyote fan in waiting is the target audience. As far as a brand uh, that I, I have admired, and certainly in the last twelve months, and uh, you know, I'll go again to the NBA, but uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets to me have done some incredible work. And I'll tell you, um, and it's not just because one of their co-owners is a college classmate of mine, uh, but they did something that I was so blown away when they did their patch deal, their Jersey patch deal with Motorola, how they combined a corporate sponsorship deal with a branding deal with a community impact component where they partnered with Motorola to provide phones for for individuals in the community who weren't able to afford them. And in particular, focused a lot on those that were out of work, those that were homeless, uh, those that really had uh, had no ability to access telecommunications. And I just thought that was so fascinating that you're talking about a corporate opportunity and a partnership, you're talking about something that obviously impacted their merchandising and their brand, and then yet, took that next step of also using it as a platform. I think that's the future of what you're talking about when you're looking at sports from a commercial perspective, from an engagement perspective, from an impact perspective. And I really think they've really shown a lot of leadership and that's just an example of that. And and we're certainly mirroring that here. Uh, We talk a lot about internally how we go after the three aspects of, of our business plan of impact, inclusion, and innovation. Innovation, not just technology, but thinking about how you do things differently. Some
1: Great points there. I love kind of what you hit on with the, the fan in waiting, kind of the, the the Motorola rollout, what some of the best brands in the world are doing. Thank you for that. As a segue, Ed, I mean, you have the great fortune of working with some of the best brands and organizations in the world. How do you, um, uh, you know, view kind of the next generation fan?
5: Yeah, you know, what's um, what's interesting, just hearing everybody with, with their commentary that, the theme for me, um, and I grew up in the NFL and and then the NHL before being in the agency business, um, is, you know, consumers, we use that word consumers, are, are, are really people, right? And like, what is it that people are looking for? And, and you know, the way that we look at it, especially through the lens of our clients and, you know, 160 over 90 is part of the world of endeavor. So we sort of have this cultural lens that we look through is like, people are, are interested in lots of stuff, you know? So I... I Think about when I was at the NHL, we were targeting the hockey fan, you know, or at the NFL, we we're targeting the football fan and, and, and really, you know, c- customers, people are, are multi-hyphenates, right? They care about sport, but they also care about food and they care about music and they care about fashion. So I, I, I think, you know, the target really is that horizontal customer where it may be grounded in sport, um, you know, maybe, maybe targeting, you know, that person that's interested in, in the coyotes, but the ability to then be able to sort of push out from there and be able to connect with them with their other passions as well. So, you know, if hockey is the core or basketball is the core for Jeff's, how, you know, how you then connect in with those other things that are passionate about them. So it, we, we sort of view the world through a, a multi-hyphenate lens and think about it less on a sort of vertical basis and more, you know, sort of how the thread goes through uh, through all of that. So um, So that's what we work a lot with our clients on is, you know, a, a sponsorship portfolio, or your involvement with a league or a team, or you know, a, a property, whether it's sports or entertainment or beyond, and and but thinking about it in the way that really surrounds the things that they are most interested in, as opposed to treating them, you know, sort of in a narrow in a narrow way. So, you know, less less a particular cohort or you know, sort of segment, um, and and more almost like a mindset uh, that comes into play as well, um, and and I think that then does lead into, and I think everybody's touched on it to some degree, is is that notion of. Of those people, those consumers, those customers wanting to engage with organizations that share their values, you know, and and whether that is a team or a league or it's a brand, um, you know, in, increasingly, people are voting with their wallet, you know, and and it's no longer good enough for anybody to sit on the sideline. Um, so you know, again, whether you're a team in a particular market or your league or your brand connected to a team or a league, um, you know, sort of taking a stand and 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 demonstrating your values and. And putting those out there and letting those consumers then decide whether those values align with them, um, I, I think is something that, especially over the last year, we certainly have seen. And working with our clients, we're sort of pushing in, uh, you know, to ensure that um, they're going about that in a really smart and meaningful way. You know, that does really align with values and purpose. Um, and and then you know maybe shifting gears just a little bit, um, and you wouldn't be surprised that I would talk about one of our clients, uh, but. Um, just will appreciate this, um, AB is one of our clients, and, and I would say that, you know, as COVID kicked in and bubbles were created and fans weren't able to, you know, be part of the experience, um, what we were able to work with the NBA and as well as with AB, the Mick Ultra brand is sort of the digital fan experience that was created, you know, at Disney within the bubble where we we're able to insert people into the experience, right? So people are able to show up digitally, you know, a- along the sidelines and in the stands, and just a way that was so smart of, of AB and, and, you know, so smart of the NBA as well to be able to just try to find a way to be able to take a situation that we'd never encountered before and, and be able to, you know, provide an experience, albeit virtually and digitally, but provide an experience that was just really unique and interesting and, and you know, had a lot of earned media exposure to it. So, you know, again, lots of brands doing it well, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll stick with one of our uh, one of our clients for the moment.
1: Great. Thank you for that, Ed. And maybe as a transition, you know, I've got an eight and nine year old. They spend all their time on Roblox, on Fortnite, watching highlights. Javier, what do you think the NHL and other leagues really need to do to capture this next gen fan? Um, to Ed's point, who has a lot of interest, well, sport may be one, but what do you think the, the leagues really need to do here in this moment to really reach this this new generation that has more devices and, and access to things at their fingertips than ever before.
2: Well, I, I always go back to to sort of the framework of you start by being intentional about it by really saying strategically this is an audience that we wanna we wanna target and we talked we actually talk a lot about that at our board of governors calls uh, given our new media partners that we have with ESPN and Turner Sports is the fact that um, these platforms are really allowing us. Uh, to be intentional of our direction in terms of not just the fan, but again the young fan, the Gen Z, the tech savvy fan, and utilizing their cultural portals. So when you think about a Bleacher Report, when you think of a House of Highlights, uh, again that that are within the Turner um, you know portfolio, that's you know intentionally targeting that, and then authentically, you know, and uh, really looking at them and saying, okay, you're going to do this as opposed to Come and bring it to us. What what is it that engages? Starting by thinking about it as what is a first screen that's in front of these. I have a 12-year-old as well, who by the way is also a diehard Lakers and Warriors <laughs> fan. Um, and, and so yeah, you know, we're const- I'm I'm constantly picking his brain. My marketing folks are constantly picking his and his, you know, his friends' brain. They know that the first screen is actually that mobile, that 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 digital. Uh, screen. And so saying, okay, we'll start thinking of our content digitally first. Uh, So definitely that that's been uh, something that we do. And and then you also think about it in, in, you know, in an innovative way, merchandising and brand uh, affinity via merchandising is a way to get engagement is, is a way to start that, you know, journey of, of affinity, uh, to your team, to your league, to your sport, and especially at the young level. I mean, I, I have, a, unfortunately, I have a sneaker head for a son. And so, you know, when I show up and uh, the Stock X packages are, you know, piling up in my front door, I'm like, do you really need the six color uh, way, you know, of, of that shoe? Um, but I know that that is what's being, yeah, that's that's a platform that's engaging. them, so it's not just, a content play. It's also a a, a brand via merchandising uh, engagement and attraction. And I think that's really what leagues are, are doing and what teams are doing. So they're seeing the 360 uh, opportunity, especially with young folks. Um, I read a great article uh, by John Cosner talking about the adrenaline economy and about the instantaneous uh, engagement uh, that is now possible, uh, mainly because of social media. But it really resonated with me because it talked a lot. Uh, it, you know, it, it resonated with me because of, of this component, that it's not just vis-a-vis one uh, um, contact, uh, rather content-based uh, engagement, but it's all of it. And I really do think that when we think about what we're doing uh, at the Coyotes, it really isn't just how do I get somebody to come in the door to watch a game or watch mm-hmm. them on television or do it on online. It's, how do I get them to do all of it? Where are the different portals by which I am going to make that connection and engagement and, and really create that experience, especially for young folks who have their, their focus, as you said, whether it's Roblox or, or, or Fortnite or NBA 2K uh, or NHL, uh, you know that, that engagement and, that they have uh, now is constant. And so I think you have to think about it holistically.
1: Great. And I think one of my favorite things from the past year has just been seeing all the collaborations across sport, music, esports, um, fashion. Jess, I see some comments here coming up on the screen talking about the NBA Fortnite um, partnership. Do you want to talk a little bit more on how you and the NBA um, view collaborations and tapping multiple passion points?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I think of the NBA and really like, um, you know, all of the the different brands that are represented on this panel today, I think something that separates us is that we're really at the center of culture. It's not just a sports conversation, it's a cultural conversation. And so um, Javier, I agree with you. It's sort of like meeting our fans at those sort of like cultural intersections where um, it matters to them and really meeting fans where they are. Um, Fortnite is a great example of that. Um, So I'm happy to see some of the comments in the chat about um, it making an impact with with, with folks out there. Um, we just launched our partnership. Um, we announced it last week. And, um, you know, the first sort of iteration of our partnership is um, the ability to get an NBA outfit inside the game, which launched last Friday. Um, and as lead up to that, we um, had these community team battles and was excited to see even in the Fortnite community, uh, we were the fastest community battle to reach 500,000 participants um, in Fortnite history, which was just great to see the excitement from um, our young fans. Um, And then as a follow-up to our our outfits being available right now inside the creative mode in Fortnite, um, there is an NBA hub and we've built out with um, Fortnite creators like an entire arena experience that is also decked out in um, a lot of our playoffs and brand campaign uh, imagery. So we also just launched um, a global brand campaign on Saturday alongside um, the start of playoffs and um, unveiled our new tagline, NBA, that's game. Um, And we're excited to be like bringing that inside the Fortnite experience. It's actually the first time that Fortnite Creative Mode has um, showcased uh, video. Uh, And so that's been really exciting for us. Um, and I think it just goes to show you when, um, you know, the way that we were thinking about this opportunity is that, you know, it's not just sort of like a one and done siloed on, um, you know, tactic execution. It's really about how we build on, um, you know, a community, really think about, um, you know, what we are bringing to the table from the NBA perspective and how we can engage our fans and really thinking about, what's authentic and organic for the Fortnite audience and um, how we want to um, sort of really meet again, meet the fans where they are and speak um, in a language that really resonates. Um, and I think that, that shows sort of like how we approach partnerships and collaborations, um, really thinking about our collective universe um, and how we can create those special moments um, by bringing um, our brands together. So I'm glad to hear that people are excited about the playoffs and uh, that Fortnite is helping ignite that. Um, we're really excited about that. And, and the timing was, was intentional and perfect, I think
1: along those lines I mean Ed you and team you mentioned the Nick Ultra Courtside club but 16090 has been a part of so many incredible collaborations. are there one or two that really stand out in your mind or anything else that that is, has
5: that is really kind of risen above for you yeah well so I, I think just made two really great points right One is um, going to where the audiences are and not expecting them to you know to show up at the arena or show up to buy the ticket right I, I think that um, such a key point such an important point. And the the other is the authenticity, right? It's such an overused, buzzy word that you know it just sort of feels like um, you know it should it should be banished. But but it's real, right? So you know because consumers can sort of sniff out the BS, right? They can feel if something's not real and if it's not meaningful. And 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 I you know there's there's sort of two things to me that come to mind on that because the other part of it is showing up in unexpected ways also. Um, So there's just sort of two client examples that, that. come to mind that step outside of sports just so you know we sort of think about this even more broadly from a cultural standpoint um, one is um, what t-mobile did with Florida Georgia line right which um, t-mobile has an objective around small town rural it's about you know sort of those smaller markets and and through the relationship with Florida Georgia line is literally we're able to you know award a town you know a small town um, a, a concert opportunity with Florida Georgia line so it, it wasn't, you know, come to the big arena in the major market. It was instead, hey, we're going to come to you because you as our customer, as our consumer, as those people, you know, important to us. So just like a such a meaningful and, and promotable and sort of earned media and marketing opportunity that is just real. You know, it's sort of T-Mobile is the uncarrier. It just delivers on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another example, again, outside of sport um, is Lowe's. So Lowe's happens to be a enormous partner of the NFL. Um, they've done just incredible stuff around the draft and, and other, um, but Lowe's also knows that you know their customer and their consumer is also you know diversifying different experiences, different points of view, um, and uh, we worked with um, with Lowe's to create a, a collab with uh, New York Fashion Week, which Endeavor happens to uh, happens to own. So you think about well, Lowe's at New York Fashion Week, like where's the connection? And they were able to, and um, we were able to create uh, a designer collab. So we had Jason Wu and some others that uh, actually helped to create a line and and, uh, and curate a line of clothes that that were sort of you know um, curated and involved with with Lowe's as well. So all of a sudden, the Lowe's customer, you know, primarily the female consumer, saying, "Hey, something for me now." Now there's something in place that you know relates to me. It's not just the you know the male dominated um, you know sort of demographic as well. So I think if you're Lowe's, and, and Lowe's, by the way, you know, in in media and marketing um, uh, you know, sort of reviews from last year, that was viewed as one of the, you know, the, the biggest and sort of most visible marketing opportunities, yet so unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. who would ever expect that to see? So I think that whole notion of collab when it's going to the audience where they are, putting them in a place where the voice is real and the authenticity is real, it's, you know, I think those are the opportunities for all of us, whether it's inside a sport or outside, um, that are really meaningful.
1: Great. Thank you. And I love looking outside of sport for inspiration. And Shiv, again, given your kind of brand background, what do you see that um, younger generations expect from brands these days? What What are the experiences they're striving for? What do you think that the role of a brand organization needs to deliver um, to connect with these younger fans in an authentic way, as, as Ed mentioned?
4: So uh, I, I think we touched upon this a little bit already, but You know, I I would summarize it as in many respects, younger fans and even diverse fans and consumers more broadly uh, are fed up and they're they're fed up with the inauthenticity, to use the buzzword, and how uh, brands invariably have immense power by virtue of our budgets and by virtue of our historic role in culture for many brands, Mm -hmm. And how we don't necessarily, you know, and to put this uh, bluntly, live up to our own values in a consistent fashion over time. So, so that's sort of the, the, the bad news side of it. The good news, and what's sort of very helpful and, and valuable, is that, you know, cultural spaces like sports, like music, are immense forces for good to bring the world together, to bring people together. Um, I'll I'll never forget, you know, this was when I was at Pepsi and it was the the first Super Bowl I got to attend in person and I was sitting next to someone we couldn't have been more different. Choose whatever yardstick you wanted to choose, you know, however you want to define different. But in that moment, just the the sheer experience of watching the Super Bowl and being for the same team made us leave the, the, the stadium Friends. And, and it's so easy to forget that that's something uniquely powerful about sport, in the way it brings us together, which matters more than ever in a world that today we all know has major trust issues, divisiveness. We're all angry with one another. We're all confused often about what's going on. So so when I think back about the role of brands in the context of sport, more broadly, in this world that we find ourselves in today, I think there's an amazing, wonderful opportunity for brands to step up more to, I don't care if it's a buzzword, but to be true to themselves and true to their consumers and use platforms like sports, like franchises, you know, in partnership with folks like the NBA or the NHL to really connect in that more true, honest way, the way I was able to connect with that fellow fan sitting in uh, that, that stadium many years ago. So, so I'd say that's the big opportunity. The challenge that we have is, is one of consistency. I think we're in an age, you know, in a, and, and I've studied social media, wrote a book on the topic, but we're in an age where brands haven't truly really caught up to the fact that everything about us is out in the open and it's a much more transparent world. And, and you know you're just one Google search away from anyone knowing anything and everything about you and we we have to develop that consistency be even more authentic and be patient in how we build that relationship with our consumers so you know as brand Expedia we believe travel is a force for good we do all kinds of things but to assume that you know with that Gen Z consumer we'll be able to build a strong meaningful relationship overnight that's not going to happen. You got to be in it for the long game, and as the same brand with the same values over time.
1: I love the comment on brand stepping up um, that you mentioned there, and it is true. Um, and with Javier, I know you and the organization have really stepped over the past, stepped up over the past year to get more girls engaged in the game of hockey. Can you talk a lot, a little bit about some of the creative strategies or things that you've done to get you know, young girls or other populations in, in the Arizona community involved in the game of hockey?
2: Sure, yeah, no, the, so youth hockey in general has been a big point of emphasis for us. We think that's really a entry point of engagement That that really, whether they continue in the sport uh, you know, these young folks will forever be aligned and, and engaged with with us as a brand and with the, the sport. Uh, and in particular, an emphasis around uh, youth girls uh, hockey. Uh, so there were a couple of things that, it, that really surprised me when I took this job uh, in terms of the number of Canadians that were uh, here in Arizona, which I wasn't aware. Um, also, the number of, of former NHL players that actually retired to Arizona. That was also, and I think because of those two, the we also have the fastest-growing youth hockey uh, programs in the country and some of the largest, especially on, on the female side. Our Kachinas program, uh, which is our youth girls uh, program, is, is the largest in the country, uh, one of the more uh, you know um, experienced uh, platforms out there to really engage and attract youth girls. And I think it starts by just saying this is what we're going to do. We actually created a youth uh, girls uh, community center uh, in Mesa, uh, Arizona, where we said, you're going to have a full-time location uh, to have games, to have leagues, to have a learn-to-play uh, experience. And so just the commitment that we made in terms of resources to be intentional about saying, you're important. We're going to go meet you in terms of your interests. And again, we may not have uh, Olympians or professional youth girls uh, hockey players, but we're going to have them knowing that that was important to us. And that created a lot a of also about content. It wasn't just enough to have those that were there, it was also to create a a content opportunity so that you see actual female coaches, you see girls on the ice. It's it's, it's a concept around uh, seeing yourself and creating empowerment and creating that self-reinforcing, that this is something that's important to to us as an organization, but it's something that I also uh, aligns, again, with our values. It's something that, again, is consistent and constant, and and you're really thinking about how you do it in a way that is, you know, uh, unexpected, as Ed mentioned. You know, so here you have, in the middle of the desert, one of the best youth girls hockey programs in the country. And so when you just kind of take a step back and you say, "But of course, that that's what we're going to be focusing on," and so that's been a, an incredible program for us. It's a incredible part of our strategy, and we know that when you that resonates not just with the girls' youth, but at, at the youth level, you engage families, you engage that extended uh, family cohort that all of a sudden start talking about things like you know puck, pucks and, and stick handling. And oh my gosh, you know, the next step will be maybe I go out and do a street hockey uh, event. And that, that's something actually we're, we're looking to do as an entry point as well. We want to try to, we have this ambitious goal of hosting the largest street hockey tournament in in North America and, and doing so. Can't do it in the middle of summer. It'll be quite dangerous here in Arizona, uh, but, but potentially doing it in, uh, you know, February, March of next year, and again how wonderful would it be this visual of young girls of young people of of young people of color with sticks in their hands out there just having fun just engaging and then adding not just the content component, but the merchandising component, the branding component, mm-hmm. and so those are the types of things that you know we're 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 here in a methodical uh, approach to say we have these incredible assets, and how do we leverage them in order to really engage again the the coyote fan in waiting.
1: Great. Thank you, Javier. Uh, Shifting gears a little bit, um, Chef had brought up some great points on sports power to bring people together, but engaging fans doesn't happen overnight. Jess, at the NBA, you've got over 2 billion fans around the world. You could easily have another billion over the next decade, but how has the NBA evolved its approach to engaging fans in international markets and attracting not only the next generation of fans, but international fans?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, Brian. And I think that, um, you know, one example is really thinking about how we continue to expand our leagues. Um, so, you know, thinking about in the last couple of years, we really dove into like the eSports arena with our 2K League. Um, and really like just this month, actually, we launched our Basketball Africa League um, and really sort of doubled down on, on the fandom and the opportunity that we're seeing with fans, um, across the continent. And so I think, um, you know, looking forward, the NBA, we're actually going to be celebrating our 75th anniversary season next season. Um, and it's actually the, the W's 25th anniversary as well. Um, next season, and I think, um, looking back at really our, our heritage and our history, as well as looking forward to what the next 75 years will bring, I think, One of the things that um, has been so incredible um, at the NBA is really thinking about how um, we've taken that leap, we've taken those opportunities to really uh, make our bets in in the arenas and and sort of with our um, audiences really in in sort of um, catering to um, what we see as opportunities. and I think, you know, that also happens, like, outside of the league itself and what's happening on the court. I think it's also, you know, um, the ability for us to really find and sort of um, take our bets in, in new emerging areas. I think, for instance, um, you know, in the NFT landscape, um, you know, Ed talk about unexpected, right? The NBA is right in the mix there when we talk about um, sort of crypto collectibles with an um, NBA top shot. And I think really thinking about like where those opportunities lie and and um, really that uh, being fearless in sort of um, identifying where those new areas are. Um, I think it, it also provides us the opportunity to potentially, um, you know, find new fans um, who are coming to the NBA in, in different ways. So, um, you know, I think, Brian, to me, it's not just one thing. I think that it goes back to what I said, which is um, being sort of innovative and, and forward thinking is something that's really core to uh, the league's like value system and sort of, you know, what we've seen in, in, in our history and our heritage. And, and I think that that really um, creates an environment in which we are continuing to, um, to look for those opportunities. And, and shift to your point, um, to really commit and develop um, those opportunities and, and the communities that really um, become like, you know, and serve as, a, as our core fan base across the board um, while also being really open to casual and curious fans as well. And I think that that's what I think is um, pretty special about the opportunities that we've been seeing.
1: I think I saw a question come through. Can we expect NBA and WNBA games coming live from uh, Africa anytime soon?
3: Well, um, you know, I think right now the the BAL is is up and running. We we've, we've seen a lot of great uh, <laughs> headlines. Because, uh, if if there's music folks on on the line, J Cole, that's right. J Cole is uh, you know really making headway there. Um, you know, I think the the we, we do also have a history on the NBA side of doing global games and bringing games to uh, international locations. We we certainly have, took a pause on that in the last year or so, but, you know, I think um, the NBA being a global brand and being sort of um, having that, that really deeply rooted global fan base is something that um, we've been committed to for a long time. And I think that that speaks to, on, you know, where we see our future as well. We wanna make sure that we're engaging our fans all around the world.
1: Great. Shiv, maybe I'll pass it over to you. We talk a lot about being in channels where this next generation of consumers are. Twitch, YouTube, influencer channels. what what tips or advice do you have on what um, teams and leagues should be doing that maybe brands have already figured out or maybe things that you're trying to do at Expedia to get in front of the
4: right fan with the right message at the right time? Yeah, great question. Well, and, and I think it's a very quite, kind question because I think we have more to learn from uh, the, the, the leagues than the other way around. But what I would say is uh, a, a few things that, continue to matter immensely. The first is, you know, you have to jive with the moment. And that's, I mean, I think that's why we're all in the businesses that we are. And it's actually extremely hard to do. And for me at Expedia Group, you know, we're coming out of this global pandemic. People are starting to travel. It's simply a matter of, are we spending too much ahead of the recovery or too behind it? And that can vary pretty dramatically dramatically. By country, by cohort, by cohort, etc. So you have to really jive with the with the moment and be in that moment in time. The second thing I would say is um, there's always more we can do for our fans or our most loyal consumers, customers, travelers, whatever we call them. I would humbly suggest that the way we categorize today, categorize them today, which invariably, very often, is based on. Uh, the amount they spend with us, whether that's an Expedia group or a franchise, is probably not the right way to think about them. And, and I, I would suggest if that's not already being done is to find other dimensions with which to understand your fan base and to, to really uh, uh, deliver value to those most loyal fans. And then the, the final thing I would say is there's incredible magic that can happen even more magic that may have happened in the past at the intersection of the fans, the brands, and the leagues and the sport teams. And um, the more we bring together our collective, anonymized, of course, but collective data on what's happening, the more to, I think someone mentioned, we we take a truly deep innovation mindset. I, I saw in the chat, someone started talking about NFTs. I think that's a brilliant idea. The, the more we crowdsource and open up and treat our fans as, as just as the Super League learned the hard way, which they really sh- needed to, that the fans are the heart of everything, the more we can learn, the more we can do, and, and the more we can move both sport forwards, brands forwards, and in, in a small way, the world forward. Because uh, as Javier has it as his background, which is phenomenal, you know, sport does indeed have the power to change the world.
1: Great. Thank you, Shiv. A lot of great points. I love the jive with the moment um, tag. I think I'm going to start using that. Ed, how about shifting over to you? You know, influencers are such a big part of people's lives these days. It's really hard for all of us to get our arms around. How do I utilize influencers? How do I help influence? How do I drive e-commerce? I know you all have worked on some incredible collaborations with TikTok influencers and others, any tips or advice um, for, for the audience on how to approach that?
5: Yeah, I mean, we talk about this TikTokification of the world, right? That, um, uh, you know, has essentially taken over, you know, the, the, the notion of long form content certainly has a place, but, uh, you know, all of us as consumers are, are increasingly, you know, finding our information about culture and being affected by culture by, you know, short form video, you know, small things that are happening. And it's the TikTok creators that are sort of driving what's happening in culture. And I I love what Shiv was saying, you know, sort of about, you know, again, being in that moment, which is, I think all of us as marketers, whether it's a, you know, a league, a team, a property, a brand, whatever it might be, really needs to be so keyed in on that and have the understanding of what's happening in that moment and how do we react to that. And, And the ability to be able to use content, short form content, to be able to react to that back to the point that, you know, with Jess of sort of going where they are. Is, is so important to all that. So I, I do think that there's been a little bit of an over rotation on sort of, you know, influencer, you know, everybody sort of uses the buzzword, you know, what's an influencer? Well, an influencer can be a, you know, a celebrity that, you know, has, you know, tens of millions of followers, or it can be, you know, sort of a micro influencer that happens to have, you know, a particular orientation and following in a particular area. So we, we do believe strongly in the power of influencer. And, you know, you can see what others have done to try to be able to you know, um, to, to, to tap into that. But I do think it's, it's absolutely a balance in terms of how it comes to life. Um, it also gets back to, and I was the one that said it's, it's, you know, that buzzword, but it it is about that authentic voice, right. Mm -hmm. Especially teams league brands can only use those influencers. If you're willing to just give up the control of the brand just a little bit, right. Because, you know, if it is so structured and it's so controlled, Again, the con- you know, the consumer is going to sniff it out. It's just going to have no impact. As a matter of fact, it's going to have the adverse impact. So, mm-hmm. you know, influencers for sure have a really powerful role to play, but it's got to really be done in a way that, um, you know, is true to the brand, but also true to that content creator as well. Great.
1: I I think it'd be important to even get perspectives on influencers from the rest of the group. Maybe Jess, I'll pass it off to you on how's the NBA view influencers? Yeah,
3: no, influencers and creators are a really big part of, of our marketing mix. And actually, we're really excited to be working on Bringing a few diverse influencers together for an MBA house, um, starting with conference finals at, at the end of our, our upcoming postseason. Now, so um, I think the things that you know, Ed, agree with everything that you said. Um, I think the opportunity with creators is, um, again, to show that authenticity. Um, I don't think that that necessarily means having every influencer and creator in the house be like a hardcore. NBA fan and creating trick shots. I think that it's actually an opportunity for um, us to reach more casual and curious fans too. And I think really illustrate like uh, the dimensionality of fandom right through these influencers. um, You know, they may be a fashion influencer, but um, you know, they they love the NBA as well. And so um, I'm really excited to see how our house um, comes to life and excited for um, the collaborations as well between the creators that we're bringing in. Um, I did also want to touch on, um, Marley's point about athletes as, as form of influencer. I, I couldn't agree with you more. We really are thinking about how we can, um, really nurture and encourage our players as creators as well. Um, and in particular, I think that it gives us all an opportunity to really, um, you know, develop and, and build what that looks like, particularly with our younger players mm-hmm. um, from, you know, our elite youth to, um, you know, our prospects and our, uh, and our draft draftees to, you know, those, those early younger players um, in the league in particular, I think that there's an incredible opportunity for us to really think about how um, like the NBA as a league can help encourage that mindset of player as creator. And really, again, I think we're thinking about ways that we can dimensionalize um, the role of the player and and sort of their role in culture, right? So, um, so those are two things in terms of like what we're thinking about at the NBA. Um, but I'm I'm definitely a huge proponent um, in leaning into to creators and 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 leveraging sort of that authentic fandom um, with fans.
1: Great, thanks, Jess. Javier, I mean, you deliver hockey in the desert. Um, how do you uh, view influencers and and how much you can use them as a tool or resource to get new fans in the building?
2: Sure. Well, listen, you just said it, right? We do hockey in the desert, so we're always thinking outside the box. And and one of the things that was exciting when, when Alex Morello bought the team and, and asked me to join here was the opportunity that the NHL in general has and the sport has really to climb up that uh, – Sort of that that mountain of utilizing our players as influencers. This is a sport that has historically been very much about the team, and yet you we know they're young they're young men just like you know what you have out there, and they they watch other sports teams, they watch other sports leagues, and I'll share with you a story about what I'm talking about. So uh, we hired a new general manager, and one of the first things we told them is we really wanted the players to come in fashionably dressed uh, off the plane, very similar to what's happened in the NBA. And the pushback we got from traditional hockey folks was incredible. It was, what are you thinking? That's a terrible idea. We said, let's just try it, right? Let's, let's, just, let's just do it. Of course, we did it. All of our players loved it. All of a sudden we're getting critiqued by other players uh, and, and folks in the, in, in, in the league. And my, my crowning uh, moment uh, of just looking at that was I went to our last game to uh, up to San Jose and there was on the video with San Jose's players coming out with their fashion show off the plane. I said, oh yeah, terrible idea, wasn't it? The reality <laughs> is that this is all part of this experience of sports. And, and the participants of sports, the athletes, the ones that young people look up to and say, uh, I admire you for your athletic talents. There's also so much about their story, their human story, who they are as people, um, that really, I think, is an opportunity uh, for our sport to really leverage. I'll tell you, there were the two, two most read stories that we had on our team this year, one, or about that uh, our starting fo- uh, right winger is a coffee aficionado and he goes to coffee shops at every stop, right? That's that's what it was. And the second was about a, a, a young girl who we uh, entered into our ring of honor. She was the first non-player coach, GM and broadcaster to enter the ring of honor of an NHL team. Sadly, she passed away uh, from leukemia, but she represented so much of the values, and it really shows you that it's those human interest stories and connections, the relatability, Uh, I'll circle back to to Shiv's point about the Golden State Warriors, the relatability of a superstar Mm -hmm. like Stephen Curry, right? How maybe you can't dunk, but you can relate to someone who can practice and shoot, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not as good as him, but you know, there's the relatability factor. We see it all the time when our players go out. They look at them and they say, "You're young. You're, you're you know, some of them are massive, but most of them are are not physically, uh, you know, big." It's the relatability and and creating that connection through content, through experiences, through opportunities to put them. I really, really think that that's that's what we're we're leaning into. That's what our sport is leaning into. And to me, that's the type of influencer campaign that I think really, really hits home.
1: I love the, the coffee reference. I'm going to be going to look for that article. That's amazing. And um, kind of building on that shift, you know, as much as we're craving this return to the live pack sports arena, people are craving to re- the, the return to travel and travel influencers play a big part in that. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you view influencers and their importance and kind of everything that you're looking to do?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and it builds on a lot of these comments. So what we found is that, well, firstly, of course, travel influencers are massive in general and, and because they can really bring to life destinations with their own stories and, and the photography, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It gets everyone excited about travel in a way that we know we as a brand can never match and don't want to match. And they, they play such incredible roles. But to give you a very specific example of how we think about influencers and and it won't be much of an intellectual leap to take it into fans and into sports is, so in 10 days time, we're launching our our biggest uh, sale of the year. It's called Expedia Travel Week. and, And we've just started socializing. It's June 8th to June 12th. Now, as the tip of the spear for that amazing massive, massive sale, we actually have a whole series of influencers and not just travel influencers, but influencers from all walks of life who are, uh, who, who are sharing their own highly curated itineraries, where they would want to go, how they would want to stay, what they would want to do in those destinations. So, so it's, it's amazing because it connects travel with those influencers, with what they're interested in, with what their own fan bases uh, care about and it brings it all together in a, you know, in a really cool way on our platform. So we believe massively in influencers. That's one way it gets manifested and, and you can only imagine the, the, the kind of fun and opportunities we have when we, we take that same kind of thinking to athletes and in sports as well. I
1: love that example. Just thinking about how teams can help map out the fan journey uh, through the eyes of different fan segments. So um, that's a great, I'm excited to see that one come to life. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I know we're coming up on the two minute warning here. So I would love to quickly go around the horn if everyone on the panel could just one quick tip or practical advice for someone out there trying to build a next generation fan strategy. Anything based on you've learned, and maybe Ed, I'll start with you, just um, any advice for the for the group?
5: Yeah, so I, just to keep it quick, I, you know, the entertainment value matters, but what you stand for matters just as much. And, and I think that increasingly, you know, the, the customers, the consumers that we're trying to reach, they really care about what values uh, we're all projecting. Great, thank you. Ed. how about Jess, let's pass it over to you.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna echo something that Chip said earlier, which is really start with a deep understanding uh, of your fan and your audience. It's a lesson that I feel like I learned um, really well when I was at Spotify, uh, the data does not lie. Um, so I think that's that's one. And then I think to, to um, jump in on what um, Javier said, I think representing your fan, making sure that you have that diversity at the table with you to really interpret um, that data and that understanding of the fan is is paramount. So,
1: great Shiv, what's your take?
4: Two things: uh, start from within your own organization. If there's, if you want to make a statement and do the right thing, start by influencing, impacting, changing your own organization. You know, from the inside first, and then the second thing is always try to do the right thing, even when it's not in vogue. And that's actually harder to do than it may appear.
1: And that's a great segue for you, Javier. I mean, you, you did start internally with changing the organization um, before you looked external. Any other practical advice from, from your end?
2: I, I think you will never go wrong if you start everything that you're thinking about doing by thinking about how you can serve others. When you think about how you can make that impact on others, I think it will make your decision-making, your strategic, your execution uh, really clear.
1: Well, it's been fantastic. I mean, I have true leaders across leagues, teams, brands, agencies come together. You never get this melting pot of perspective. So just a huge thank you to all of you. I mean, it's been awesome, even for me to learn. So um, thank you so much for the time and dedication. and Avish again, for setting this up to uh, support India during this time. It's really amazing. So thank you for, for coordinating
5: everything on your end. As always, thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and the sponsorship space on LinkedIn to join and engage with our community. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a great day.